Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We are continuing our study of the faith life, what it means to live by faith, what it means to uh, be a person of faith. Uh, And tonight we're going to look at the seven principles that govern the life of faith. The seven principles that govern the life of faith. If you're going to be a person who lives by faith, then these principles need to be active in your life. It's not every Christian that walks by faith. It's not every Christian that sees God do mighty things in their life. It's not every Christian that sees the power of God released into their human situation. It's those who understand faith and walk by faith. And these seven principles need to be in your life if you're going to be one who harnesses or touches the power of God, and sees it in your life. First principle is the principle of vital relationship. Vital relationship. I mean that you need to be conscious of the fact that you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Not that you just know about Him. Not that you just know some facts about the Bible but that you have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that you have been born again. Over in John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, verse 3, I say to you, Unless one is born again, and you remember we said that word again can also be translated above. Unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again means to be born from above. It means to have your spirit come alive to God. Now, the Bible speaks of death as separation, not extinction. Physical death in the Bible is defined as the spirit being separated from the body. Now, you don't cease to be when you physically die. No, you're just as much there as you ever were. You're just not in that body anymore. Your spirit has left that body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is also to be understood in terms of separation. And it is our separation from God. Our spirit is dead, meaning our spirit is separated from God. Where we're born into this human race, we're born with a body. We all know that. We see it. With a soul, which is composed of our mind, will, and emotions. All right? And a spirit. Okay? The spirit is dead, separated from God when you're born into this human race because of your sinfulness, right? 
Now, your spirit is alive to the devil, but it is dead to God. Uh, that spirit is enslaved to sin and Satan. But when you are born from above, what happens is the Spirit of God comes and quickens your spirit and bridges that separation between you and God. And so that personal relationship with Jesus Christ is possible because the Spirit of God has brought your spirit alive. Paul says over in Ephesians 6, excuse me, Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace, he said, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, dead, separated from God, unable to respond, death cannot respond, okay? When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he caused you to be born again. He came and quickened our spirit, his spirit touched our spirit, and bridged the connection, uh, bridged the gap, and made that connection, and we were therefore able to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right? And so that is the first principle of walking by faith, is you've got to have that personal relationship with Christ. Your spirit must be connected to the Spirit of God, must have that personal relationship. We relate to God primarily through our spirit. All right? You know things first in your spirit, even before you know them in your mind. Sometimes you'll just sense something that's true, although you can't figure it out, you can't even maybe put words to it, but you know it's true in your spirit. And then it gets into your mind, and you're able to vocalize it and, and explain it and understand it. But the spirit is where you relate to God. All right? In fact, the Bible says if we don't have the Spirit of God in us, then we don't belong to Him. Right. Amen. Uh, so the His Spirit comes in and quickens our spirit, and there is that connection, that relationship, and we have a personal relationship with Christ. So that's the first step, first principle. Second is the principle of maintained fellowship. Now look over in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Not only must you have a relationship with God, but you must maintain the fellowship with God. Once you are born again into God's family, that relationship will never be broken. You cannot be unborn any more than you could be unborn physically. I've told you God puts things in the physical realm to help us understand spiritual truth, all right? He had the process of physical birth, and he decided to put that into the physical creation because he wanted us to understand something of the reality of spiritual birth, all right? Just like <laughs> you didn't decide that you were going to be physically born, did you? Well, you didn't decide you were going to be spiritually born either. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he called you to be That's born right. again. See? And just like you can't get unborn, once you've been born, you can't get unborn spiritually. Once you've been born again and come into the family of God, you cannot do anything to sever that relationship. All right? 
Just like in the physical realm, your children are always your children. No matter what they do, they're going to always be your children. You can't change that, even if you want to change it. You can't change it. It's a fact. Right? Okay. All right, so same thing in the spiritual realm. Now, although nothing can, can break that relationship you have with God, the fellowship is a different matter. All right, we all recognize the difference between relationship and fellowship, don't we? All right. You got that relationship with your wife, but you might not always have the fellowship. Amen? I've been married long enough to know that's right. <laughs> you may always, you will always have that relationship with your children, but you don't always have the fellowship with your children. All right? Same thing with God. We're always going to have the relationship with Him as if we're born again, but the, relate, the fellowship comes and goes. And it's not because of Him. It's because of us, amen? All right, here John talks about this old 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. This is a message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What does walking in the light mean? Walking in the truth, walking in Accord with the Word of God. Walking in obedience to the Word of God. To the Lordship of Christ. Walking in darkness is just opposite. That's walking in your way. If you say you have fellowship with God and you're walking in darkness, you're lying. Because your sin has broken that fellowship. Now, has it broken the relationship? No. But it's broken the fellowship. And you're never going to see God do miraculous things in your life if you're not walking in fellowship with Him. If you're walking in disobedience, if you're walking in sin, you are not going to have that fellowship with Him that's needed to see the faith walk. But if we walk in the light, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. This means that we are conscious of the presence of Jesus at all times. That means we first must be obedient to the light that He gives us. In fact, James 4.17 says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. There you go. Walk in the light. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you about. I told you last week about when I found out Lindsay was going to be born and I started figuring out and knew there was no human way we were going to be able to financially pay for the hospital bill. And you remember I said I was sitting out in the parking lot of the hospital getting ready to go in and do a visit. And God spoke to me 
and Luke 6. Given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, until there's no more need. At that time, God gave me light. His truth was light to me, and I knew it was light. I'd read that verse numerous times before that, but it spoke to me then like it never had before. God had shown the light of the truth into my life at that point. I knew I was at a crossroads, remember? I said, it was more than just a few hundred dollars at stake here. I couldn't get back in the pulpit if I didn't choose to believe God right then. Uh I mean, it it was say, you either going to go with me in obedience or you're going to be put out to pasture. (laughs) And I was too young to get put out to pasture. (laughs) I was only about 26, 27. So, but that's where it was, see? It was light, and if I didn't walk in obedience to that light, I wasn't going to have fellowship with my Jesus. And if I didn't have fellowship with my Jesus, I couldn't continue to pastor and preach the Word. I'd be a hypocrite to do so. Right? God would have just taken His hand right off the ministry. Because He'd say, well, you were living in sin. You see, He that knows what is right to do and does not do it, what is it? Sin. Now, God gives us light. Different times, different places. I've known people who had a habit. Well, just tobacco for one. And God showed them the light that they needed to give it up. Now, that person was at a crossroads. Now, they had to either give that tobacco up and walk in fellowship with God or say, no, hold on to that tobacco and lose their fellowship with God. Now, you've known things in your life. God has put his finger on things in your life. Now, here's the danger, okay? When God puts his light of the truth in your life, if you're not careful, you're going to take that and you're going to try to put it on somebody else, you see. And I'm going to say, God convicted me, Mark. I shouldn't be smoking. Now, you shouldn't smoke either. Now, if you smoke, (laughs) if you smoke... You you just sin it against God. Now, see? And so you can get judgmental if you don't watch it. But the truth is, God hadn't given you that light yet. And that's between Him and you. Why and when He's going to give it to you is up to Him. But danger is you'll start putting that on everybody else, thinking that they got to be like you got to be, but God hadn't revealed that to them yet. Right? You're just responsible for what God reveals to you. You know, like God... Like one, I remember one time uh, early in my ministry when God showed me the light that I needed to start tithing off my gross income, not my net income, you know, after taxes. I've been tithing after taxes, okay? And then I, I forget now, I was studying in the Word and whatever, and, and, and God just do that to you. You know, he, he, He's gracious. He doesn't show us everything at once. It would destroy us. It would just blow us away, right? But in His time, He'll show you something, and you'll think, oh, I didn't realize that. But, man, He takes that, and He shows you. And once He shows you, you either keep walking in the light and have fellowship, or, buddy, you start backsliding. That's the truth of it right there. That's where every backslider starts. He doesn't walk in the light what God gave him. He's hearing a sermon, and God takes that sermon and says something to him or to her that they need to do, 
And they decide not to do it, and they start backsliding right then. That's where it starts. People need to go back. If, you, if you're not walking in fellowship with God, you need to go back to the place you departed. He didn't leave you, you left Him. You need to go back to the place of your disobedience and pick it up and begin, confess it and start by His grace to be obedient. To, hey, why is He going to show you anything else if you hadn't done the last thing He showed you? Say, people say, well, God just doesn't speak to me. Well, when did he ever speak to you? Well, he did once. Well, if you're not doing that, why is he going to say anything else to you? Right? So you've got to go back to that light, and you've got to walk in that light, whatever it might be. But when God speaks to you, like he told me, I need it, and I said, oh, my goodness. So I got out my budget, and it was no way it could happen, Mark. I'd already, you know, you spend everything you got and then a little more. So I'd worked my budget out, tithing on the, on the, on the net. See, so when I had to start tithing on the gross before taxes, there was no way it wasn't going to be there. And so I said, God, I said, you know, it's not going to work, humanly speaking. I said, but I want to go on with you. And the choice of disobeying and not going with you, is I'd rather starve. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to start tithing off the gross. And, and you're just going to have to provide what I need. About the next day, I got a uh, my life insurance premium notice uh, in the mail. And uh, my dad had, had taken it out on me about right before I got married, and, and he turned it over to me to keep it up. So I said, Lord, now you know there's no way. I think it was like $50. But back then now, we're talking about 1975, $50 was a lot back in those days. I was making $12,000 a year, right? That was, and that was considered decent, decent, decent money, you know, when I came out of seminary. And, uh, and so I said, Lord, if this thing gets paid, you got to pay it. And I just threw it up on the dresser because I said, it's up to you. There's no way I can do it. About a week later, got a phone call from a man in a church whose pastor uh, had died, and he said, we always have a Thanksgiving service. Could you come over and preach Thanksgiving Day at our church for us? I said, I'll be glad to. I don't have to tell you how much the <laughs> gift was, do I? $50. Paid it. And the Lord provides in His way and His time. Amen. But when He gives you the light, when He shines that light into your life, whatever it might be, you better... Obey it. And you may at times have to say, God, I've got to have your grace to do this. I can't do it on my own. I've got to have your grace. I mean, I used to always say, God, if you'll just show me what to do, I'll do it. I was that determined to walk with God. And I didn't realize that that was really just a statement of pride. I didn't realize it until God showed me one day something he wanted me to do I couldn't do. Right. God was teaching me that he was my supply, not the church, not the check I got from the church, but he was. And the church uh, at that time, we paid every week, every Monday. Well, you know, when you paid every week, you live week to week, right? So, you know, so you kind of worked out so well. I know the check's coming Monday, so we can stretch it out till Monday. But when Monday comes, we need that money. Well, I was in my in the prayer time down in the church. We had a prayer room and. It was my time to be in there. 
And God told me, he said, I want you to give your whole paycheck this time back to me. And I was going to a revival at the time in the, at this church across town. And he said, I want you to give tonight. I want you to go to the meeting. And I want you to give your whole paycheck. And the Lord and I had some talking to do then. <laughs> I said, first of all, I said, well, Lord, you know, it's not all mine because I had to take out and pay taxes because I had to pay all my taxes. Preacher, you know, you had to pay all your taxes. The church doesn't take any out. You had to pay it. And, and I said, because it's not even all mine. You know, if I give it all, then when it's time for taxes to be due, the money's not going to be there because I'd take out each paycheck for the taxes. He kept pressing me. And, and he broke me. He said, you always said, if I just showed you what to do, you'd do it. And I said, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot do it on my own. You've got to give me the grace to do it. Because I had babies in the house and they needed food. And, you know, you go to the week, that's it. You know, it's, it's, that's it. So I said, God, you know, I don't want to be an idiot. And I know I can be. And I know this, you know, I want to make sure it's you speaking to me and not just some wild thing in my mind. I said, confirm for me today, somehow, some way, that this is of you. And the first thing I want you to do is when I tell Terry, she'll be in agreement with it. I said, I, 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 I figured, hey, hey, I got a safety net there, right? <laughs> I said, so Lord, I said, she needs to be in agreement with this. I mean, you know, what kind of husband would I be to come in and just say, I'm giving it all away? I said, <laughs> I said so I think, you know, you would want that. Because you won't walk in two, walk together unless they agree, right? So I said, I ask you to do that, Lord. And then I said, in some other way, some other way, you just affirm that you're my supply and not this church or this, this check. Well, after I finished that prayer time, uh, a guy in the church, his mother was in the hospital. She was not a member of the church. She wasn't even a Christian, nor was his father a Christian. She had actually tried to commit suicide, uh, and he'd asked if I'd go by and visit with them in the hospital. So I did, and I went to the hospital, and I went in the room, and and told him who I was, and, and there was a son's pastor, and they were nice and cordial, and, and we talked, and uh, uh, I prayed with her, and the husband was there. And when I got ready to leave, you know, I put out my hand to shake his hand, and he put something in my hand. And when I got out of the room, I opened my hand up, and there was a $20 bill. Now, I don't know how many people I visited through the 30-something years of ministry, but it's been more than a few hundred. But I have never before or since had anybody that I visited in the hospital slip any money in my hand when I left. And that man wasn't even a Christian. God said to me, I can take non-Christians and give you what you need. You don't have to need just a church. I can take unbelievers and give you what you need. So then the next was go back, go home and tell Terry about it. So when I got home, I explained it to Terry. She said, if that's what God wants you to do, then All you right. need to do it. So that night, when I was at that meeting at the church, and they passed that offering plate, I've told people, I said, one of the best, greatest worship experiences I've ever had in my life was during the offering. And folks look at me like I'm crazy. But let me tell you, when that offering plate came by and I put that, all the way in there. And then God said, now put the 20 in there too. Yeah. 
<laughs> Woo! Let me tell you, I worshipped. Let me tell you, I worshipped when I did that, though. It was one spiritual time. Uh, and I got home that night, and I said, God, we got to get together again. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, and I, and I had, uh, and just to make sure, uh, the preacher at the church, I had to talk to him before. And I said, now, do you think that's something that God would do? I said, I don't want to do, you know, I really don't want to do this. This is too hard to do to do it just on a whim. I want to make sure it's God speaking. I said, do you think God would, would want me to do something like that? And he said, well, yeah, I think so. So I went home that night. My in-laws were coming that weekend. Well, you know, we always went shopping at the end of the week. Well, there wasn't going to be any money for groceries. And they were coming. That was going to be very embarrassing not to be able to put some food on the table for them. And I did have some babies that needed milk. In fact, I needed gas for the car. So I had to go around and gather all the change, loose change around the house to have enough money to put gas in the car to get over to the meeting the next day over at that church. But that night I said, Lord, I said, we got to get together. I said, I got, I'm going to stay here with you until you speak to me, until you give me a word. And so he led me over to Numbers. And I was reading over there where... Uh, it, God told Moses the people were complaining by not having meat. And God told him, told Moses, he said, I will give them meat. It will be so much meat, they'll be sick of it. Amen. He said, but tomorrow you shall have meat. Now, when God said that, he took that and spoke to me, and he said to me, tomorrow. I didn't know what it meant, but he said, tomorrow you're going to have meat. So I took him at his word and went on to bed. <laughs> went on to bed. Got up next day, went to the meeting. After the meeting was over, the preacher came up to me and said, I, somebody came up to me today and said the Lord had told them to give whoever that was, the Lord told to give his check to give them this check. And so we had enough to go get some groceries. When my in-laws came, they even brought some groceries with them. We had enough milk and Lo and behold, when it came time to pay the taxes, the money was there. I don't know where it came from, but it was there. Hallelujah. But you've got to walk in the light and fellowship in the light. And that means obedience to the light, and it means confessing your sins. It means to confess your sin, receive the forgiveness of God, and walk in obedience to Him. And that's the reason that many people don't enter into the faith life because they're walking in disobedience to the light that God's given them. And you, only you can answer that question if you're walking in obedience to the light. But if you're not, you need to just, tonight, you need to say, God, I need to confess. You have spoken to me in the past, and I have resisted. I have fought it. I have not done it. And it is sin. And I confess that before you. And by your grace, I want to pick up and I want to start today. To obey you and walk in your light for my life. You remember Israel over in Numbers 14? What did God tell them? What was the light? I'm going to give you the promised land. Right? I'm going to give it to you. Right? Go up. I'll give you the victories. Well, they sent all these spies out. And the spies came back. Ten of them said, it is flowing with milk and honey, all right. Woo! Big old grapes. But there are also some big old giants over there. 
And we just like grasshoppers, right? <laughs> now, you think they were walking in the light? No. no. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, they're grasshoppers. But they're nothing but food for us. Spiritual food, buddy. That's what your problems are, just spiritual food. For you to trust God and grow. For your enlargement. But Israel chose to disobey and not walk in the light. And their punishment was every man 20 years old and older who had voted not to go in, and that was all of them but Caleb and Joshua, would never set foot in that promised land. Forty years they'd have to wander in that wilderness out of fellowship with God because they would not walk in the light. So that's the second principle. Third principle, the law of recognized lordship. All right, first we have vital relationship. Then we have maintained fellowship. Now we have recognized lordship. Over in Romans 14, Romans 14, 9, Paul writes some words that speak to all of us about the Lordship of Christ. Romans 14, 9 says, For to this end, to this purpose, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. You see, recognized lordship tells us that Christ is Lord, and that means that everything that comes into your life must come through his sovereign hands. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about God chastening disciplining his children, the ones that he loves. In fact, it says if you don't experience it, you're not a true son. Hebrews 12, 5, listen. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves... He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, it afterwards yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Recognize lordship, recognizes that every situation that comes into your life is brought into your life by a loving Father for the purpose of enlarging you 
in your walk with Him. Everything that comes into your life is brought in there for your maturity and for your growth into Christ-likeness. You remember when the devil went out to get Job? You remember when he came back what he said? He said, you got a hedge around him, God. I can't get to him. you got a hedge around him. God's got a hedge around every one of us who are his children. And nothing can penetrate that hedge unless it is according to his sovereign will for you. Now, the devil may be the delivery boy, but that's all he is. You've heard me say, the devil may light the furnace of affliction in your life, but God always has his hand on the thermostat. Can't get any hotter than what God wants for you. Whatever comes in, we must realize God has a purpose and a reason. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things, loss of a job, all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. And He goes on to talk about that purpose is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so, if you're going to walk by faith, you've got to recognize that anything that comes into your life, God is going to use that. He's promised to use it to bring good, to bring you into spiritual maturity as you look to Him and trust Him for your spiritual enlargement, just like those giants were nothing but food for them. Spiritual food. They would grow in their spiritual walk as they trusted God to give them the victory if they would walk with God. That means God uses everything that comes into our life to refine us for His glory. Just like that crucible that, that you put that ingredients in there and you have to crush it and you have to heat it to get it purified. Life is God's crucible that He uses to purify us and knock out the dross and, and burn out the impurities and everything that's not like Christ. And pressure is what's used to do that. It's, he's putting his stamp on us. And if you're going to put a stamp in something, you've got to press it and make it really make its mark. If he's going to shape us like Jesus, he's got to knock off the rough edges. And the way he does that is adversity, difficulties, hardships. That's where we grow. That's where we, we learn. The lilies grow in the valley, not on the mountaintop. It's in the valley. That's when we grow closer to Jesus. You look back in your life. When you've grown closer to Him, it's when you've been going through the worst time. It's not when everything's going great. No. It's in the hard times. It's in the adversities. And from God's standpoint, every correction, every discipline is from His love, and it is for your spiritual enlargement. Okay? So that's what recognized lordship is. That we can trust Him that no matter what is happening in our lives, even though we may, because of our own sin, have brought it about, that doesn't mean He cannot, in His wisdom and in His grace, bring good out of it. He can. And that to walk under His Lordship means you believe that and you trust Him fully to do that. We can never trust fully unless He is fully Lord. Unless you realize His complete Lordship in your life, you can't trust Him fully. Because 
If he's not Lord, then how do I know somebody else isn't doing it? How do I know it's the devil not doing it? How do I know it's not some enemy doing it to me? Right? I can't trust him unless I know he's all-powerful, all-sovereign, and he is Lord, and absolutely nothing is more powerful than he is and can work outside of his will. That's the only way I can trust him. I mean, I can, I can trust you guys, but only to a certain extent. And don't you ever put your complete trust in any human either. Because there's a limit to what you and I can do. But there's no limit to what our Lord Jesus can do. And therefore, we can fully, we can completely trust Him. He is trustworthy. And that's what it means to recognize His Lordship in your life. You remember when Job lost everything? You remember what he said? He said, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, the devil was doing it. But Job realized the devil couldn't do a thing unless the Lord allowed it. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he did not sin, the Scripture says. And he did not blame God. Amen. So we've got to maintain the fellowship, we've got to have the personal relationship, and we need to recognize the Lordship. Those are the three principles. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the next four principles of the faithful life.